This is the Music Buzz Podcast. Podcast features candid discussions with and about those behind the scenes in the music business, including industry veterans representing the segments of musician, design, and live. All three Music Buzz podcast hosts have spent their careers working with the biggest names in entertainment and have been and are still a fly on the wall. Dane Clark as the drummer for John Mellencamp's band for over 20 years and various solo projects. Hugh Sign, a world-renowned graphic artist with the biggest names in music and the corporate world. Andy Wilson, an award-winning marketing and public relations executive with over 20 years of combined multi-level entertainment industry experience in the music and sports business. Now let's buzz. Hello and welcome back to the Music Buzz podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Andy Wilson, along with Dane Clark. How's it going, Dane? Great, Andy. How are you today? Good. And also Hugh Syme. Hey, Hugh. Hey, Andy. How are you? I'm good. Thank you very much. Today on the Music Buzz, we're proud to welcome Bill Payne, an American pianist who, along with Lowell George, co-founded the American rock band Little Feet. Bill is considered by many other rock legends, including Elton John, to be one of the finest American piano, rock, and blues musicians of all time. Payne has toured and recorded with the biggest names in music over the years, including J.J. Cale, Jimmy Buffett, Doobie Brothers, Emmy Lou Harris, Brian Adams, Pink Floyd, Bob Seger, Toto, Linda Ronstadt, Jackson Brown, Carly Simon, James Taylor, Bonnie Raitt, Stevie Nicks, and more. That's a lot of big names. So welcome to the Music Buzz podcast, Bill Payne. It is a pleasure to, to be with all of you. Thank you. Bill, it's such an honor to talk to you today, man. I got to say, I've been a Little Feet fan for years and years, but I, I took a deep dive back through the your catalog yesterday, and what a pleasure to, to hear these songs again, specifically focus on the tunes that you wrote or co-wrote. And I must say, by the time I got to Feats Don't Fail Me Now last night, my wife and I had a fire going outside, the Miller Lite was flowing, and she was grooving to a band that she'd really kind of been unaware of. And I was rediscovering some of the coolest, funky, jazzy blues rock ever recorded. Specifically, your song, Oh Atlanta, it's always been one of my favorites. You sing wonderfully on that. Barrel House Piano, just rocking. And the groove, is it's one of those things where only musicians kind of know what that is. I mean, because Richie's kind of playing a understated shuffle under you playing straight eights what you guys have achieved groove wise there is rarely captured in music it's kind of a 50s thing but the way you're doing it is more transparent you know new orleans second line i guess it's a feel that's really hard to explain that the straight against shuffle it's so beautifully done so beautifully done the way you guys do it with, with billy's signature two-fisted barrel house mind-blowing chops on top of it i saw is that the same song you played live on q104 with the wine bottles in the background it probably was so uh, well thank you thank you both i i you know my instructions to richie hayward back in the day when we first recorded that tune were to uh i want charlie watts on the snare on the two and four right yeah so that magic that you're talking about that that uh, understated shuffle is um uh, occurs through his um his hi hat and everything else. So it's a it's a neat trick. You know, uh, NRBQ uh, um those those guys know how to do that too. That's what I was gonna say. The only other band I could think that knows how to do that was NRBQ and then 
the uh, little village, you know, bring the family uh, John Hyatt, you know, with Keltner and those guys could could capture that too. But but it's a it's a lost art, man. It's so beautiful. It feels so great. So I went back through all those early records. I didn't realize how many tunes that you had written and or co-written. But the first album, six tunes. Uh, I mean, you're the guy right off the bat you hear singing, right? On Snakes snakes on Everything. Yeah, yeah which was man. misunderstood. But the, the original title was Thanks for Everything. <laughs> snakes on Everything? I go, yeah, that's it. Snakes on Everything. Yeah, I wondered where that came from, but I thought, well, okay. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Thanks for Everything was the original. That's great. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, but what a... Well, yeah, what a batch of great songs, man. Well, listen, I, I should point out that I've written 20 songs uh, with, with Robert Hunter uh, from The Dead. So I am a songwriter, and but it took me a long time to sort of compartmentalize that I actually was one. And when I, when I did those 20 songs with uh, with Robert, I mean, that's, he doesn't suffer fools gladly or didn't, you know, God rest his soul. Uh, but I've been writing with John Leventhal, with uh, Charlie Starr from Blackberry Smoke, and uh, a friend of mine um, who's a poet in um, uh, Paul Muldoon, Pulitzer Prize winning poet. We've written like eight or nine songs. Yeah, he did some work with Warren Ziva. It's a nice, it's a nice thing to have in your hip pocket when it's uh, after fifty plus years of doing this, and people are just discovering what I do. I actually like that. I think it's like. That's a neat hat trick in and of itself. You talk about what's in your hip pocket. Um, you have such a range of genres. You you you're, you have a stunning technique. And I was listening to you in this interview talking about how you were studying at age six. And while your mom was insistent that you practice, which I get, you know, uh, they also encouraged you to discover and to experiment and to deviate from the fly shit on the actual conservatory music manuscript and it, it shows i saw you play a live solo with linda ronstadt you were with little feet in 79 sharing the stage at the forum and working with i think you played you played piano with ronstadt but you also had the the little feet performance along with that same show you did a solo which started off on piano and it morphed into this gorgeous orchestral kind of textural thing and it lasted for like Anybody else would have been called indulgent, but you were captivating for a full like seven minutes. It was amazing. So yeah, I yeah, chop, you know, props to you for your, you know, I used to love Elton John and Leon and, and Mac Rebenek and all those people, and then along comes Billy. I, I, I discovered you in the seventies, and I, yeah, couldn't believe your 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 ability. Well, thank you. I, I um, every single person you just mentioned uh, are people I, I hold. Extremely high regard as well. Mac Rabinak uh, came to one of our gigs uh, a few years back. And, uh, we were at a, some festival, I guess. So there's uh, multiple stages. And uh, came over to say hey. And he goes, goes hey, you want, you want to sit in with me? And I go, yeah, man. What, 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 are, you, what are you going to play? He goes, I'm going to play the guitar. I go, okay. So <laughs> I was... Uh, yeah, over there playing with Dr. John, man, Mac Ravenek. It was cool, and I played a couple, couple tunes on stage. So, you know, it's it's a it's a humbling experience, honestly. Uh, I start off like most of us do, and and, and Dave, you, you you'll understand this. Uh, um, you know, we we approach the 
the notion of of music and and playing music on a couple of different levels. But when you when you approach the the professional side of it, or or what you think may lead to playing nationally, internationally, uh, putting your head above ground to where people actually know where you are, it gives you a bit of a pause to think, you know, am I really going to be competing with, uh, <laughs> you know, the likes of Dr. John and Alan Toussaint and Ray Charles and blah, 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 you know, just on and on. It's, it's the, uh, Brahms used to call it, I think, the footsteps of giants. And he was listening to Beethoven, Bach, Mozart, Haydn. And uh, had the same reservations about it. But once you make that commitment, um, in and of itself, it doesn't mean anything other than the fact that you were, uh, you know, maybe wary enough to to realize that this is this is the pool you're entering, and it's uh, it's something you I've always taken seriously, but I, I call it serious fun. I like I love what I do. I think I'm good at it. Obviously, uh, I'm still. Um, discovering things, which which is fun, and uh, Little Feet's a very a good vehicle to do that. And I spent the last seven years playing Little Feet and the Doobie Brothers, um, which was uh, a treat in itself. And I finally had to tell the Doobies last last year, I, I, Little Feet's playing a lot of gigs. I'm not going to be able to, to work with you any longer. So, again, a lot of humbling experiences, and and uh, the, the people that all of you have have worked for is a testament to your your facility and, and what you do as well. So you know exactly what I'm talking about. Speaking of the Little Feet dates, you guys have been out celebrating the 45th anniversary of Waiting for Columbus. How has that experience been, you know, playing that record front to back for you guys? Well, again, um, it's, it's a ballsy experience, uh, a, a ballsy thing to do to take one of the, an iconic record have a new incarnation of a band with Little Feet and say, this is one of the, one of the first things people are going to hear is how we play that album. It better be good. Right. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. It's not only what Little Feet uh, accomplished, it's, it's what bands like Fish, who put it into one of their Halloween concerts um, quite a few years ago, but they, they did that. There's, there's a innumerable bands that have played that that album i mean don was was in a group that uh, played it at the sanger theater and and when don and i were talking about it he says well it was and i go harder than you thought he goes yes yeah <laughs> no kidding and i said i know man we didn't do it to throw anybody off it's just that they're they're really intense complicated arrangements but when you listen sure. to them uh they you you make a note of that earlier when you listen to it it sounds like you're just falling off a log exactly but when you get into the nuance of it there's a lot there and you're damn right yeah so that's that's the way it is that's why we're a musicians musicians band but i've been watching the, the fan reaction too and these people some of which have uh, were, were there with us when lowell was was uh on stage um quite a few of them were not but they they heard some good uh, you know, versions of this group and they just, they're having so much fun. I guess the, the easy way to say it is they are, they went in with like, gee, I hope this is good. And they go, God, this is great. And I kind of felt that's what they would do because that's what I was doing. That's why we're, we're, we're putting it out there. 
I don't need to prove to anybody I can play Dixie Chapman anymore. I mean, that's for sure. But uh, uh, in fact, somebody the other day, I, I was in one, one of these interviews, they go, well, how do you keep it so fresh? How can you go up there night after night and play Dixie Chapman? Or, uh, they chose that as an example. I said, and I said well, I, I had thought of it before, but what do you do when you sing happy birthday to somebody? And they go, oh, yeah. I go, yeah, you sing it from your heart, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm doing with Dixie Chicken. I and I and plus I'm gonna I'm gonna throw in stuff from night to night, just like I do with the Doobie Brothers. There are there are iconic licks that you play, but there's also things that you do that um given your musicianship and, and the people you're playing with, it gives you a little room to to try other things instead of going bo dum pum pum pum. You might go fiddle it up pum 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 pum. You might change it up from time to time. So it's if you got people that can really hear one another, which is another thing I'm always stressing to musicians and listeners alike, is it's about what what do you hear? And if you can't hear the other person, it's like you and I or all of us having a conversation. That conversation is not going to take place in a, in a way that uh, will make any sense to anybody. So that's uh, you know, was one of the very first things when we got together in November of 2021. Uh, to begin going through the material, I wanted to make sure, first and foremost, we we're using in ears that we could hear one another, and that, and probably that you're actually make sure that everybody's, even though you can hear, you have to still listen, if you know what I mean. Like, really I do. Hear, listen to point. what the other guys are giving. That's the whole. That's the whole thing about, uh, especially the music on the level that you guys are playing. My lord, uh, how long did it take you to get? To, in rehearsals to get through that whole record? Not very many, to be honest with you. We, I think yeah. we had, we have about a week of rehearsal. But wow. Everybody did their homework. Well, when, yeah, they did. The, the, Tony Leone and, and, and Scott Gerard really did their homework. Uh, and we kind of set it up in an unusual fashion. In November of 2021, when we first started playing shows, up, up to that time because of COVID, we were doing things long distance. In fact, the very first song we cut long distance was Long Distance Left, um, which Bonnie Raitt heard and told me she had tears in her eyes. You know, so I said, well, that's, that's a good sign. <laughs> um, but uh, at any rate, we were, we were, management has helped out a lot in this. We're vector management in Nashville. Brian Pennix is our main guy. Uh, Ken Levitan is the, uh, oversees a lot there. But they, they set us off on a course of um, doing songs by request. So we were, we were playing uh, Strawberry Flats, um, Texas Rose Cafe, Representing the Mambo, Red Streamliner. I mean, just a lot of songs we were doing within that. Some of the requests were things, obviously, that would be on, on the uh, uh, Ways for Columbus album. But we didn't really dive into that till March. So, but but we we had a pretty good vocabulary running by that time. So, it didn't take that long to put it together. And it was probably better that we started out with some really obscure tunes um, that forced all of us to to really concentrate and figure figure what we wanted to do. The the, the other conundrum was well, what version of a song do you listen to? Try um, Face Boogie, for example. Are you taking it off of Waiting for Columbus? Are you taking it off of the original? Um, there's several live albums we have. 
So the new guys were listening to, they kept referring us back to some of the original qualities and takes. And at first we were like, well, no, but that we morphed out from there. And finally I went, you know what? These guys are making a pretty good point. That we're not going to necessarily play the original, uh, but we're going to take tenets of that original recording. And, you know, it's all subjective, right? I mean, sure. what, what do we think will work? And uh, uh, But it was a good way to, to approach a catalog, to approach how we play music with one another. Uh, and ultimately, uh, all that... Uh, signifies what what you do as a band are we really a band or not and we were and Lowell and i when we first put this together in 1969 it was a, it was left open as a proposition that um who would play this music i, I mean would, 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 did we need horns did we need another guitar player would somebody maybe flipping for additional keyboard um, we need background what do we need yeah. And we'd sort of take things as they came along. So the focal point of Little Feet has always been and still is the music we play. It is about personalities that play it, but the, the music is, is there. And if, uh, if that can be put into a blender and it comes out uh, in a fashion that sounds like Little Feet, then for my money, it is Little Feet. Sure. Yep. And you started out in 69. When, when did Richie and um, Paul and those guys come into the picture? Richie was in there pretty much from the beginning. Uh, I was down there the summer of 69. And uh, although Fred Tackett might have been one of the very first people I met outside of the group, um, Richie Hayward was, was, was right up there. And he was with the group, the Fraternity of Man. Okay. Oh, yeah, I remember those guys. Yeah. Yeah, well, you remember the song... Don't, uh, Bogart, Don't Bogart, Bogart That, that joint. joint. Yeah, from Easy Rider, yeah. From Easy Rider, exactly. So, yep. uh, And I, I played on what I think was their second album, and I, I said, well, whoa, so I'm going to play on their second album, but then how, do we, how does that put Richie Hayward in our band? He says, well, once they make that record, they're going to split up and then he's going to join us. I go, oh, okay, welcome to Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> And is that what happened? That's exactly what happened. I stumbled over, I think it's a demo, but it's it's Rebecca's song. I don't remember that. You don't? I don't. To be honest with you guys, uh, uh, there's a group I was in, uh, involved in in Santa Barbara um, called Turquoise. And a fellow sent me a bunch of uh, tracks, and I didn't recognize any of them. This guy that was in the group said that, well, I remember, I think that's what you played on, uh, but he, this is another guy that had told him that I did. And, uh, he was good friends with Michael Douglas at the time. So I don't know. I mean, I, maybe my memory's slipping. Uh, I, I'm 73, but I listened to something off of Salem Shoes and it was, it was a, the main track, right? It was Salem Shoes. And I said to, I think Dennis McNally or something. No, it wasn't Dennis. It was somebody else. Uh, I said, I, I don't think I, I didn't play on that track. That, that couldn't be me. <laughs> and they, they, they look they listen to it and they go, no, it wasn't you. It was Bandai Parks. I go, huh? exactly. So, so I played, I played on a lot of stuff, but man, I, I, uh, I get it. There's, I'm attributed to play on things. I, I, what's, what's the group? Uh, you're going to laugh at you when I say it. Pink Floyd. Yeah, that's right. I saw that. In, what did you play on for those guys? 
This was at 10 in the morning. I was asked by uh, Jeff Picaro, who's who's playing for Toto. David uh, Gilmore. Gilmore. Gilmore yeah. is at the session. It's 10 in the morning. Bob Ezrin says, from the get-go, what's up to the high C? And then play E, A, and C sharp. <laughs> I go, okay. From there on till the end of the tune, I don't remember the, the song. But there was not one note that I played that was mine. It was all Bob Ezrin. Well, that's very Bob, though. He was telling oh, everybody what, what to do, wasn't he? Well, is that, I said, well, if Gilmore's there, and so is Jeff, and they're not saying, hey, man, let the, let the guy play what he wants. I figured I'll just be his vessel. So I did. Wow. But I, I, I looked up uh, on a discography, and apparently I played on a, a few other albums or at least one or two other records. And I was like, I did? Wow, good. So, so I don't know. <laughs> Your point about Pink Floyd. And that would have been the the wall, actually, about 1980. I mean, it sounds like if Picaro was on it, it would have had to have been that record, I would assume. Jeff was just the guy that was a conduit to, to say, hey, Bill Morris, we want you to play on this, and what do you think? So, uh, yeah, definitely played on everything. Yeah, I yeah. saw your credit on, on um, Momentary Lapse of Reason, which was, that came out in like the later 80s, 87 oh. or something. Yeah, it was later part. Yeah. So you were on the wall. If I, well, I don't remember being on it, but who knows? I mean, I was listening to some tracks that I thought I was very pleased to have been listed on. Uh, it sounds like I can't remember anything. And, and uh, <laughs> the, the truth is, I remember a lot. Sure. Yeah, well, we sure. Believe, yeah. Your discography is ridiculous, man. You can't remember every little detail of all that stuff good lord that's but, uh... <laughs> well, it, it, it would be a challenge but i gotta say that you know when, when tony bennett was doing his his very last concert and i'm sure it it applies to a lot of people there you know he he was suffering badly in terms of his memory and, and whatnot uh, i don't know if he had alzheimer's or not but he he just couldn't remember anything but he would get on stage Mm. And he'd start to sing, and that muscle memory, whatever you want to call it, mm. uh, was right there. I kind of feel like in general, and not everything, but I, I, with with a lot of stuff I've played on, it's it's very rare when I when I will hear something, I'll go, you know, I don't remember playing on that. And they go, yeah, well, it is, and then you go, oh, upon further listening, you think, yeah, I guess I did play on it. Normally, it's like. Yeah, I remember that. That's uh, can go back to a, a generally a story about about what was taking place when I did it. So, as I read at the top of the show, you know all the different people that you've uh, toured with or recorded with. I mean, you talk about you know those are like the who's who of of rock history for the most part. I can't think of anybody else we've talked to on the podcast other than the guys in the immediate family guys, right. um, Leland and, and Russ and Waddy, etc. When you're walking sure. into that situation, I mean, are you intimidated by some of these people when you're walking in kind of, you know, or do you, you know, what, what's your mindset going into that headspace? It's one thing with Little Feet where you're, you know, it's your band, but going into other situations like, you know. How about when you cut China Grove with the Doobies? Well, let's, let's, let's talk about China Grove. Uh, and, and, and my mindset in general, by the way, is, and it's a, an excellent question. So thank you. It, what it is, is I, I want to go in, I can be a fan or I can think, gee, I'm going to be playing with Artie Garfunkel or I'm going to do something with Ron Stad or, or anybody. And um, there may be a, a form of intimidation, but when I walk in that room, it's like writing 20 songs with, or writing the first song with Robert Hunter. Uh, I want to 
do this on a, although I never met Robert, but I want to do it on an eye-to-eye level. I mean, I play better piano than, than Paul Simon or, 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 or Garfunkel or most people I work with. So if I'm working with Billy Joel in the studio, I, I, I don't necessarily play better piano than he does. In fact, I asked him why I was there. <laughs> it was for a movie called Runaway Bride. And uh, he said, no, we just, wanted, we just wanted your flavor on this thing. Go, cool. But I walk in, I can walk in with, with a sense that if they're hiring me to play on this, they, they know who I am. So I don't have to go through the introductory phase of that. I say, what do you want me to do? And if they say left, left, and I know that they mean right, right, I mean, we may have a conversation about that. I'm not, I'm not going to do something and let something fail because I'm taking instructions to the nth degree. I'm there to make whatever I play on sound as good as it can. I think eye to eye is the way I prefer to go in. Now for the song uh, China Grove, that was the second album I played on with them. The first had uh, Rockin' Down the Highway, I think. No shit, China yeah. Grove was sitting there and I flown this crazy lick. It's, and I, it's about the ninth or tenth song of the day. Maybe it wasn't that many, but it was around eight songs that day. And I said, guys, <laughs> stop. <laughs> I want to redo that lick. And they go, Billy, we love the lick. Leave it. I go, no, no, I was just goofing around. Is that the thing going so, into the bridge part? Yeah. Oh, that's the killer, man. So, so I went into the studio, and I'm talking to Don Landy, who's the engineer, Teddy Templeman, the producer, and Tommy Johnson, who wrote the song. I said, listen, guys, when I was in, let's say, fifth grade, maybe even fourth, uh, in Ventura, I, I would, Ventura, California, I would get a, Bill Payne will now play the piano. And I'd go, oh my gosh, what am I going to play? I got a stand ovation walking up to the keyboard. I play this little Chinese kind of rock and roll morph sort of thing. Get a stand ovation going back to my seat. And we go on the playground and get beat up like everybody else. <laughs> so they, they, they said, like I said, we're, we're keeping the lick. Did Tom ever send you the royalty check for that part, that iconic part? No, because that was the, that was the next bit. Was like he called up twenty two, maybe twenty four years later. Not hello, Bill, or or anything. It was like remember that lick you didn't like. <laughs> I go, yeah. What about it? He said it was the result of the lick that you played and the story you told. I went home that night and called that song "China Grove." Oh, I it said, didn't even have a title yet. Oh, wow. Yeah, I said, oh, well, so where's my royalties? And uh, <laughs> I, I, we laughed about that, and that was it. One night, we had a Doobie Brothers show, and I was waiting on the uh, local DJ to show up to introduce the band. And he called me, and he's like, I'm stuck in traffic. I'm not going to make it. So they had me do it. So I went out on the stage, a sold-out show, standing on there. And the curtain opens, and I'm like, ladies and gentlemen, the Doobie Brothers. And they start playing the beginning of China Grove, and I just kind of freeze. I'm just standing there, didn't move, and Tom kind of looks at me like, okay, dude, get the hell off the stage. You You were ready to grab the mic and take it, man. Oh, I was taking it all in. When the sun goes up. (laughs) Anyway, that's my story. You should have went for it, man. I was was almost there. Just knock him off the mic, that's awesome. Well, I, I love that explanation because, you know, I mean, you know, going in uh, to play with these people, I guess that, you know, it almost makes com- complete sense. I mean, that you got to be in that mind frame that A, they know who you are, you wouldn't be there, but B, 
What do they want you to do? Yeah, you know, you got to please the client. You know. Yeah, for sure. That's well. You got to do that, but you also have to 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 bring what bring to the table what you have to bring. You know, like I said, I'm going to play better than they, than they can, generally speaking. So uh, if they want me, like Bob Ezrin, to just do what he does. Another way was when I was working with Jackson Brown. Uh, Jackson said, hey, great playing on this one track that I played on. Fine. But the next one, like every two or three bars, you go, hey, instead of playing A, C sharp, E, play C sharp, E, A. And he did this like about, I think, three, maybe four times. I said, come out here and play this for me. So he did. I said, is there any earthly reason you're getting, you're wasting my time and your money to get me to play like you? I think he played perfectly well. So, mm. so he did. And, and he, Playboy Magazine, they used to have these, like these bands they would compile and for rock and roll, for jazz, for, for whatever. He was like the nominated the keyboard player of the year or whatever the hell it was within a rock and roll set, setting. I thought, well, good. Why not? You know, I mean, I said, if you ever want me to play on something, I'll take direction, Jackson, but I need to be able to put myself into this as well. So I yeah. played on the Pretender record. I didn't play on the, the track, the Pretender. Okay. Um, but I did play on uh, Here Come Those Tears again, which is a pretty good song as well. Great, great song. One of my it's, favorites. I played on a few things for him, but we, we got it straight that, you know, I, I don't mind, as I said, taking direction from people. That's, that's part of the gig, but if I had walked in and, and the client was Dixie Chicken and they said, no, we don't want that. Da, 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 just play the, the, that should be a, an A7 score, not the, the raised seven. <laughs> it sounds weird. You know, that kind of stuff. Uh, I would have just said, yeah, okay, whatever. I would have done it. I have to, I have to ask you, cause I'm, I, I've long enjoyed the artwork of people like uh, Neon Park. Um, ever since uh, Weasels Ripped My Flesh, Zappa, um, who, who enlisted him? Was this just a label thing? Or did you guys get seriously into the look and feel of your packaging? Uh, I'm pretty sure Lowell brought uh, Neon in. Because um, Lowell was briefly with the mothers. I don't know that he was actually a member. That's always debatable. But he knew who Neon was. And then Neon and I became rather close. And, uh, we used to talk about a lot of things as well. But yeah, uh, the LA Art Squad did the first album artwork we had when we were standing in front of that wall. It was Lowell, Richie, myself, and Lawrence Goddard. So art artwork has always been a huge component of Little Feet. Well, it's certainly a huge component. I'm always curious to know how much the band, you just described what what that history was. You know, some bands leave it to the to the label or they, or they luck out and find someone that suits the band. But did you guys sit down and talk concept, or did he just bring his best to the party, and you guys generally liked what he produced? I think in general, in the beginning, we probably just let him go with his, his flow on it. But later, we had, Leon and I would talk about things. I'll, I'll give an example. Uh, one was uh, uh, the album cover. It was Speak, Don't Tell Me Now. Yeah. And there's the mountain in the back and uh, uh, George Washington, Marilyn Monroe in this vehicle going down a road that you don't know if it's going to go downhill or uphill or whatever. There's lightning in the background. We, Neon and I had talked at length about the, the troubles that the band were going through. Uh, would we survive those troubles? Would, would we not? Were things cool? 
that record was a good one for us because it was a, a, a matter of us coming back together and getting through everything. It was a, it was actually a, a rather um, kumbaya moment for our band back yeah. in the day. That was in '74. But I said, you know, so what what is the what is the what does it mean having Marilyn Monroe and uh, George Washington in the car? He goes, Dale, come on, man, rock and roll, riches and bitches. I go, <laughs> oh, okay, got it. <laughs> uh, we're, we're, that was the 1974. Right. Yeah. Sometimes the absurd, you know, doesn't need to be explained either. I mean, but now you have. I'll never look the same again. Came from, from Neon Park. So Marty Miller, for people that want to find out who he was, because that's, he he's one of the, one of those guys I really really miss. I, I loved him as I did Richie Hayward. So and Richie was an artist too. So was he? Oh yeah, I've got the my original notebooks. Uh, there's God, there's one or two of them in the uh, Rock and Roll Museum in Cleveland, and I think it's I can't remember if they are showing his artwork or not, but they should because on the covers he would he'd make these drawings. I always thought that was really cool. He, he was really, really good artist. He loved me. Was it Richie's art ever published, or was it just his private passion? No, in fact, uh, I've been contemplating writing a book for years. And, uh, well, you should do it, man. I probably should. You know, I mean, I, I, yeah. uh, I mean, not probably. I've got, I've got a title for it. I've got, I've got the beginnings of it. I didn't want to have it be a, a piece that if people go, I'll tell you what, if people go to BillPayneCreative.com. Uh, you'll see some of my writing there, and you can read a ten thousand word essay I wrote on on Richie Hayward, for example. Oh, nice! So I'm going to look at that today. Awesome. Yeah, I think I think it's got my my photography up there. It's another window into who I am, and uh, I, like most of us, like everyone in this conversation, we're we've got areas that we're you know pretty deep that we know about, not others necessarily. A lot of others know about, so it's cool. Well, I sure love the. Uh, Bluegrass Pines on there by the Midnight Ramble Band. And that's one you wrote with Robert Hunter, right? It sure is, yeah. And uh what a cool band, man. A cool band. Yeah, I'm I uh I never met Robert. I never spoke to him on his telephone. Wow. And we wrote twenty times. I've got a couple hundred emails from him. I actually felt like a new I said, Bob, I know this is I'm sure you're a nice man. It feels sort of like an internet, a Guatemalan internet bride scene here. <laughs> but, <laughs> but we, unlike Jim Lauderdale, who uh, they, they got together personally, which he just figured, you know, we're doing well without it. And I said, you know, I agreed. Let's just keep doing what we're doing. So, how about your work with uh, Bob Seeger? I know you've done some some stuff with Seeger over the years, quite quite a bit, right? Yeah. Uh, the first thing I played with Bob was. Um, Somebody asked me once, they go, do you play the B3? And I go, yeah, well, I played B3 on Against the Wind. They go, oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess you I do. Don't know. <laughs> so I guess I do. I mean, it was just a really simple part, but yeah. it worked. Uh, yeah, it I played made, on yeah. Hollywood Nights. Um, yeah. Oh, great. Uh, some of the tracks uh, I played with with Seeger were Hollywood Nights, uh, yep. uh, Like a Rock, Rodney Crouchin, um Dave on the Moon, man. I was right there on that one. Yeah. Beautiful. And um, Rock and Roll Never Forgets, are you on that one too? I don't think so, but I don't oh. that one I'm not sure. But uh but a lot of a lot of stuff with with, with Seeger. And Seeger's a very good uh piano player himself. Capable and, and Craig Frost, my God, you know, uh, Craig uh, a terrific 
keyboard player. Has played on a lot of stuff as well. But um, yeah, I haven't, I haven't worked with Bob in a long time, but I uh, I, I enjoyed working with him immensely. Uh, he and I got to say Bruce Springsteen, who I went to the studio with with Steve Jordan and Chad Randy. God, who's it? Uh, I think his name was a bass player um, that was later on, like the uh, those, those music shows with Randy Jackson. Randy Jackson, yeah, when he had the flat top and the, he was in his craze period, he was playing on it. What I was going to say about Springsteen and Seeger is those those two, in terms of their work ethic in the studio, I've never been in the studio with any, I mean, and with anybody more intense than those two. They they really, I mean, the gauge, they're off the charts in terms of 100%, call it 150. I mean, they, they uh, hmm. They go to the wall to make things happen. It's, it's why they're so successful too, I might add. What cut was it? What what Springsteen tune was it? This, these were these are tracks that that were. I don't think they ever saw the light of day. They were things that Bruce was working on, and one of their producers, um, who actually produced the Jackson Brown record, uh, the Pretender album, later worked with Bruce, and they were just trying to get him interested in, in recording again. So they pulled us in to. See if that would stimulate him and inspire him, and I guess it did. So that was cool. That sounds yeah, like a super band, that's for sure. Jordan and Randy Jackson and you. Uh, Randy was cool. They're all, all good, good people. So what's on the horizon for you, Bill? I mean, obviously, little feet dates and stuff, but what, what else are you working on or looking forward to? Uh, we're going to be putting a, a little feet album together. Um, nice. Sooner than later, I would think. We, we've Plenty of songs that we can put on there. I've got some, enough to cover two or three albums, but it ain't about me. It's about Little Feet. So uh, what might happen is is I might do a solo project at some point. Uh, I think that's a, a real possibility. And uh, certainly the, 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 the primary thing I want to get together is, is a, a start another album with Little Feet. And I think that will turn into several projects from there, as these things tend to do. Nice. Um, so that's on the horizon. Um, um, just kind of figuring out what we do as, as songwriters, and uh, um, that's always fun, challenging, and uh, the platform of having a group like Little Feet is exactly where you want to see where these songs sit. When you when you think about it, if you if you dissect my tunes, like Red Streamliner representing the Mambo. Uh, Gringo, etc. They don't. If you were just to hear a demo of them, they wouldn't seem like they would be a little feet material necessarily. Until everybody put their unique stamp on it. And you're a drummer, you would know that. And uh, that's exactly what happens. The record "Hoy Hoy" starts with. Um, that's a double album we have. Yeah. Um, that one starts off with "Rock in My Pocket." It's just Law playing an acoustic guitar and, and singing. There's a purity about it that really, really is great. And it's followed by the band playing the same song. Right. And you go, well, they do sound like the same tune, but the intensity just went through the roof when Lulfi yep. got all of it. And uh, that's what happens. It's, that's why it's a band. Uh, we're a band just like the Rolling Stones are a band. The Beatles, the Almond Brothers, the Grateful Dead. You, there, there are not a lot of groups that you can call bands, honestly. There's 
good players and collections of players um, that make up things, and that's cool. And um, they might have a band-like quality. You mentioned some dear friends of mine earlier with Cooch and with, with Russ Kunkel and Lee Sklar and those guys. Yeah, Those are band guys. I mean, they, they know it, but they were never listed as band members when they played with James Taylor or whomever they were working with. But they made it um, feel they, like a band. Because they were band players. And what makes a person a band player is they put their heart and soul into something. Yes. They're not checking in the clock there. They they go in and, and if if whomever they're working with goes, Well, I want like a dit 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 you go, oh, okay. Really? Why don't you try this? You know, and start moving and they go, oh yeah, that's what I meant. You know, that, that kind of thing. They wouldn't have a goddamn clue where to start with that. But that's, that's why you pull in the least car. Get out of the way. Let them do the thing. Yeah, and if an artist has got any sense, they know when to take the handcuffs off and just say, just play. Exactly. And, and those guys will, will do anything you want, just like I will. They'll, they'll take direction. But there's a point where you go, if you don't want it, okay, I tried. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> don't harm no foul. It makes sense those guys are called the immediate family um, when you consider they are a family. They are a band unto themselves, and they did prove that on every James Taylor, Linda Ronstadt, Jackson Brown project. You, you were talking about the, the demo version of something versus the finish. Um, I love listening to the anthology album by the Beatles and listening to that scrubby little basement tape for the song Strawberry Fields, only to hear where it, where it was taken in the studio by the band. Yeah. George Martin had a hell of a lot to do with Oh, hell stuff. yeah. Yes, he did. You think? <laughs> Fifth Beatle for sure. That's why I brought his name up, because he was, uh, I have a great, great amount of respect for him, and, I, and, a, and a, a ton of respect, too, for, for Paul McCartney. Yeah, me too. I heard Paul's band, uh, or Paul, down in uh, Japan when we were at the Doobie Brothers uh, four years ago. I, I but it was before the pandemic, obviously. And God, it was terrific. I mean, he had a terrific band. A guy named Paul Wickens, Wicks, plays Wicks. the traditional keyboards. Yeah. Um, he and yeah, I are great. a good friend. Um, Abe Laboriel, I, I did a lot of work with, with Abraham's dad, Abraham Sr. Sr., yeah, killer bass player. Yeah, I didn't meet Paul, through Paul, but I did meet uh, uh, the, the other cast. And, and Abe came up to me and goes, God, my dad's always talking about you. <laughs> <laughs> really? That's awesome. Cool, man. Uh, it was awesome. And uh, he was such a nice guy. What a terrific musician. Great player and singer. Yeah. And but Paul McCartney blew me away, man. That cat, that cat really plays piano. I mean, it was just, he does everything. I, I, I was thoroughly impressed. I, I wasn't even going to go on that. No, I, I need to go say hey to Wicks. We were just coming down from another city north of there in Japan. I thought, I, 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 I got to go to the concert. So I did. I was. Super happy I did. I, I I saved the ticket stub as well. I mean, we were we were in the second row, I think, which was. Uh, <laughs> How often have you uh, seen Paul live? Oh, I saw him the one time. Oh wow, yeah, I've seen him several times. Yeah, yeah the Budokan, that's the Budokan. Yeah, well, he's, yeah, he's terrific, man. I don't I don't go to a lot of concerts these days, uh, and I haven't been for a long time. I mean, I, it's not an aversion to it. I just I'm I'm, I'm generally not invited, or, or I just. You know, we're, we're when we're working, we're working, and when I'm in town, I'm not in town that much, so I, I'm not like, hey, let's let's. And Montana is kind of spread out, so if, you, if you're going to go anywhere there, you, especially during the winter, you're going to make a major commitment to do it. So. Boy, no kidding, I could see that from 
the little bit of time I've spent there just last week. So it's serious. Big sky, man. Wow. It's beautiful. So I got to ask you too, on your website, just there's two instrumentals through the eyes of a child and the cadence of breath through the eyes of the child was really mellow and beautiful kind of classical sounding. And then the other one was more, I don't know, fusiony, I guess, very intricate. That's really cool stuff, man. Is that from an album that's available or something that you're working on? It is an album that was, uh, who knows when we will re-release it at some point, but it's called Cielo Norte, which means North Sky, North Sky in Spanish. So Cielo, C-I-E, Cielo, C-I-E-L-O. Yeah, I encourage our listeners to to check those tracks out, man. They're very cool. Really nice. Yeah, well, thanks. Yeah, it was they're done at my house, uh, gosh, in the 90s, I guess. Were you ever a Keith Jarrett fan? Uh, the short answer is no. I wasn't a fan of his in the sense that I really listened to him intently. Was he a great player? Obviously. And uh, did I listen to him? Yeah, but not enough to, to become a fan. Uh, the guy, I, what happened was I was in, in Baltimore uh, when we first went back there to record um, – uh, please don't tell me now. And mm-hmm. I was, I did go to a concert and the, the Keith was there, I think one night, the next night it was like, um, oh, Mose Allison. I'm up in the balcony watching both these guys play. I mean, because they, you know, one night, another night. And Mose Allison blew me away. Keith was just great because the Keith, yeah, but I mean, I, the guy that, that captured my soul that was 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 Mose at this point. I've seen him play four times, and I've seen him, you know, not not as inspired. What's intriguing about him is he does come out empty-headed, sort of with just just his muscle memory and his chops, and just starts to compose for the audience. So obviously, you're going to have moments of mundaneness, and then you're going to there's some stuff on the two major albums of his that. I think might I don't know if you've ever listened to uh, Brayman Losan and the Clone concerts, but if you ever get a chance to listen to those, it's really isolating some of his very very best, and some some of it's pretty extraordinary. You, you uh, yeah, just... I will check. I will check the the Clone the Clone I've got a really really good collection of music going on these days. Oh, with it was that one album, there's one song, it's one of the shorter songs, and it's clearly one that he's worked out before he came on stage. It's, it's, it's too clearly a piece that he's kind of sorted out before the show. But it's kind of stunning how he convinces you that he has a third hand. I mean, counterpoint's one thing, but this, this guy in, in this one song. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there are players like that. Uh, Sonny Lander on guitar is one of those kind of players. When you, when you watch him play quiet guitar, it's disorienting. And I told him, I said, man, I can't look at you while you're playing because it sounds like there, I see where your fingers are going, but it's not pointing to the sound I'm hearing. <laughs> so I'm like, what the hell are you doing up there? It's amazing stuff. Yeah, it's a nice guy too. So how many more shows, are, are you guys, how many shows do you have booked now? Uh, let's see. On uh, this tour, on, on, at the moment, I've been yeah. out here for the shy of a month, I think. Okay. It started off, I, I played the, uh, uh, with Lyle Love at the Americana Music Awards. I think nice. it was on the 14th or 15th of uh, September. I don't have the date exactly right, but uh, we did Willin. We wanted to sing Willin. Nice. And uh, Beautiful. Jed, Jed Haley asked if I was, if I was in town and if I could come in to, to do that, so I did. And, uh, it was our management there. 
Great, man. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I enjoyed the conversation. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.